Welcome to the Money Mitch Effect. We've got theme music, seven episodes in. Gotta give a big shout out to my good friend Tim Adams for supplying me with some beats. A very talented guy let me have a couple and uh, feeling this track for sure. It's uh, the official theme music right now at least of the Money Mitch Effect. Got a special show planned for you today. Two interviews. We're going to talk to George Pinozian, practically a co-host at this point. George is going to come by and sling some tennis knowledge, uh, break down Nick Kyrgios' latest outburst, as well as talk about the Davis Cup semifinals that just completed this weekend, uh, the end of the ATP Tour, some thoughts on that, and with Dirk Nowitzki recently hosting a tennis charity event. It got us to thinking who would be the best athletes at playing tennis in the professional world. So a lot of fun talk on that. The second interview is with my good friend Mike Indergaard. Mike back from my St. Louis University days. He lives up in Minnesota, but we were hockey teammates once in a, a blue moon. And we're going to talk about the 2016 World Cup of Hockey. A lot going on there, that tournament just getting going, but a lot of drama to discuss there, as well as some football. He's a big Vikings fan, so I know he's pretty happy this week. All right, first up, George, and we're off. Money Mitch Effect. All right. Here we are, George Pinozian, another addition. Yeah, the gambler. The gambler's back. First time remote, though. You know. I know, it's a new experience. I know, I got you on the line here. Um, and we're at the uh, seventh edition of the Money Mitch Effect. You're my resident tennis expert and my uh, life coach for gambling. So I had to... <laughs> just gambling? Yeah, just gambling. Well, yeah, I need to... <laughs> Maybe other things, although I don't know if gambling... Uh, I don't know if your advice would be good for us. <laughs> a little questionable, yes. Questionable. But uh, we got tennis to talk about. Um, Davis Cup weekend. We're getting into the final stretch of the season. Only two months left. But before we do that, George, um, I want to talk to you about the uh, things surrounding Nick Kyrgios. Um, right, there's there's no really w- real way to describe this guy. I mean, I haven't seen anything like it in a long time. But we were both, uh, you actually sent me the article that I'm about to quote from on uh, Friday that's titled, I Don't Want to Hang Around, Dash Curios. So when you sent me that, I really, uh, no, I had to read it. It was just too much, uh, yeah. you know, in the uh-huh. title. But the quote that got me, obviously the stuff about wanting to play as quickly as he could, uh, <laughs> doesn't want to hang around, wants to get off the court as quickly as possible. Uh, but the part that I want to talk to you about is how he says four or five years of tennis, he's done, and then he wants to play basketball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is uh, ridiculous. <laughs> That's the part of the article that kind of stood yeah, he, out to me too. But, I mean, the thing is is that I, even I think uh, Australia's coach was was saying how Nick just likes playing with the media. So you, no, can't, really take, you can't really take anything he says seriously. So... Even if he is a good basketball player, and, and you know what, we'll find out because I know he's going to be participating in the Celebrity All-Star Game uh, next year at the, for the NBA. So we'll see, uh, we'll see some of his moves out there. But regardless if he's good or not, I mean, 
that's I, I just I find it funny when athletes just think that they can just switch sports just like that. Yeah. Well, you know? I think it's, I think it's funny to me too that you know Hewitt did say he plays with the media and he's a kid. I, I think there's questions with his attitude. He's 21 <laughs> years old. He's got a lot of talent. You know, he's 15th in the world right now. But he's saying things like, "I just I don't want to hang out on the court. I want to get off." And uh, five years left, which would put him at 27, right around the time when most tennis players are peaking or on the tail end of, of when they're peaking. But well, yeah, especially I, this day and age. Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, he loves basketball. I think he's better that his parents pushed him into tennis as opposed to basketball if they did push him into anything. But obviously, it seems like the right choice. And Hewitt said he can beat Monfils in basketball, and Monfils can really play. But that doesn't make – I mean, I don't – Monfils isn't a professional basketball player, so what are we really – Yeah, really, exactly. I mean, the whole thing is just kind of questionable, and I think it's just silly that they're even talking about that. I think more of the problem is just Kyrgios just making these remarks about Djokovic and him being soft and what he did, you know, during the final. I wanted to get into that with you. That was the other thing that happened in this match. You know, they were playing uh, Slovakia in the World Group Playoff in the Davis Cup, which for non-tennis fans out there, when you lose in the first round of the main group of uh, the Davis Cup, round of 16, you have to play in the world group to avoid getting pretty much relegated, to use a soccer term. So Australia has a lot of history in the Davis Cup. They're playing Slovakia. They pretty handily beat them, as expected. But during his match, uh, during Nick Kyrgios' match, he made comments when he had a, a bloody nose that directly called out Djokovic, saying he, wasn't, he didn't want to pull a Djokovic and take forever. Now, we, we discussed this, but what was your initial reaction to a guy, Kyrgios, top 15 player, not really that accomplished, saying these things about Djokovic, the number one player in the world? Well, I just before I give my opinion, I, wanna re- tell me, I just want you to reiterate the match itself. So Slovakia, Davis Cup, World Group, right? Okay. Yeah. And then what was, what was uh, Djokovic? playing in when that happened we're gonna yeah it was the u.s open men's final u.s open men's final okay so what's what do you think is more important oh i i i would say well i don't i mean the davis cup had its years of really being at the top but probably the u.s yeah but i mean of course we i I mean my point is we're talking about a men's final of a grand slam versus a rubber of a world group in davis cup so it's like completely two and two different tournaments of the the significance of for what it means for a player and and the amount of uh, prize money that's involved and um, and just a lot of history in the making and Kyrgios it's it's funny you know it's funny that Kyrgios is taking these kind of jabs at Djokovic and and sure you know maybe uh, maybe a lot of players in the ATP think whatever Djokovic did during the final was wasn't really the right move and can and made him a, little, a bit soft but but at the same time you know I think the relevance of the match and 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 the fact I, I blame the umpire in that situation and not Djokovic like we discussed in our last podcast but it's just crazy Kyrgios has proved nothing and <laughs> Djokovic is a 12-time Grand Slam champion well so, you know I, I, I mean, agree I agree with a lot of what you said I, I first of all 
Kyrgios is, like you said, he's proved nothing, and this is a pot shot, you know. This isn't a guy taking exception to something that happens in his match. You know, this if Kyrgios would have been in Stan's position at the time, I could see feeling frustrated in the moment when it's affecting you directly. But he's mm-hmm. his comment, you know, well after well after the fact when Novak's not even there, and it, like you said, he hasn't really accomplished anything. But I think yeah, I mean be, the guy's twenty one. You said it right. Yeah. He's, a, he's yeah. a young guy. He's he's immature. I, and I think it, I think it does though, like you said, and we touched on earlier. I, I think it it might be more revealing not about Kyrgios. We knew he's immature, but to the feeling in the locker room, uh, there may be rumblings of what how people perceive Djokovic as maybe not being tough in that situation at the very least. Kyrgios, though, I just don't know the respect factor. That That's the biggest thing to me. I know he's a young guy. I know he's immature. He says things like he wants to play basketball, and, you know, he, he has run-ins with the umpire or with the crowd. When things go wrong, he tends to, you know, let it get to him, like with the crowd or with noise or whatever it may be. But the respect factor. I mean, there's a guy that I just don't know if he respects anyone. Yeah. You know, he, he's calling out guys. He called out. Uh, <laughs> he called out who is it? Rashid, the famous coach from Australia, who's coached. Oh Nick yes, Nick. yeah. And uh, and all he said in his quote was, "I want you know Nick to try to care a little more." It wasn't vicious. He wasn't you know. He talked about the talent he has. And Kyrgios comes back and says, "Well, Macaro can can take a shot at me. I don't care. You know, because he's won or whatever." But Rashid, I passed his ranking when I was a when I was a teenager. That's funny. It's funny, but <laughs> it's pretty funny. An accomplished coach that's looking out for him, and that's yeah. How he, so I just think it's a respect factor for him. But yeah, I mean, joke, it just boggles my mind how Kyrgios just doesn't really learn from all of his past situations of of constantly, you know, getting into it with the media and, and the umpires and the ball boys, ball girls, you know, he's, he's just, there's yeah. just always a lot of drama revolved around him and it's, and everyone's just kind of gotten used to it now. It's just kind of like, Oh, that's curious. You know, there he goes again, like being dumb, you know, but yeah, like, he has a lot of talent definitely, you know, but hopefully uh, uh, mentally he grows a little bit so he can kind of overcome some of these difficult drama situations that, it's just kind of constant around him. Yeah. Last note, do you think he gets into the top 10 next year? He's at 15 right now, and he's talked about adding to his team and trying to crack through. Do you think that happens? Yeah, yeah, I do. Because, I mean, you know, every as every year goes by, we're going to see some of these older players just coming into the decline, like as we did this year with David Ferrer and um, Sangas, you know, getting past, kind of he's past his prime now. So, all of these young guys are just going to continue to emerge and continue to climb up the rankings. And it's exciting. It's good for tennis. And I, I want to see him. In the, I want to see Nick Kyrgios, even though he, he makes these silly comments, you know, I'm, I'm okay with him winning a grand slam, you know, at least, at least he has something to prove, you know, besides him just talking and then not doing anything. So. Yeah. I'm just not sure. I, the spots always open up. Like you say, I just don't know if, He's going to be the guy to get in there. There's a lot of young guys. You know, he may get passed by somebody below him in the rankings. Um, but we'll yeah. see. And he's he's got to get in better shape. He's got to get his fitness up. You know, he retired yeah. a couple this year. You know, that's got to improve. But it would be very funny and ironic if he was awful in the celebrity basketball game. Yeah, I I'm, I can't wait to watch that. 
I, I, I feel like he's okay. not good. There's no way he's not good. There's just no way. Yeah. Come on. Like, yeah. There's pros to play in that game, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's athletic, you know. So if you're athletic, you're automatically going to be decent. So, yeah. we'll I, I mean, it. we'll see. We'll find out, though. Um, other news here on the Money Mitch Effect in the tennis world, George, is what happened with the Davis Cup. Finals are set. Croatia, wow. Argentina. So, you know, they were pretty competitive, could have gone either way. But in Argentina, Great Britain, in that semifinal, Croatia beat France. But Argentina beats Great Britain. Del Potro doesn't play in the fifth rubber. Argentina dodges a bullet, George. I want Big your time. opinion on Del Potro. Argentina was up 2 nothing. It's best of five. They play two singles on Friday, double Saturday, two singles if necessary on Sunday. They're up 2 nothing, and Del Potro played in doubles. And then he didn't mm-hmm. play on Sunday in the in the fifth and final rubber. What do you think about yeah. that? Is that? That just seems really peculiar to me. Honestly, when when I found out that that happened, I was just like, "What? Oh my god!" I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, "What is Argentina's coach? Like, what 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 was he thinking?" I mean, it was just a huge, I thought, huge gamble to put Del Potro in the in the doubles match on Saturday, and we all kind of we all kind of thought that. And I mean, I get it. You're taking a chance. You're trying to close it out because uh, with Del Potro, you know, maybe it's not like. Murray, the Murray brothers are a top five. I don't even know what their ranking doubles wise is. Do you know? No. Uh, well, I don't even. It, it's interesting because Andy only plays with Jamie during the Davis Cup. Yeah, and Jamie it, plays ten doubles. But it's probably like it would be the equivalent of a top five because you have the second best singles player in the world in a yeah, top five. Yeah, I mean, it, you know what? Like at the end of the day, it worked out for Argentina. And Leonard Mayer came through, and even after losing the first set in the fifth rubber, sure there was a lot of pressure on him and a lot of pressure oh, yeah. on Argentina's coach of of his decision making of not of not playing Del Potro, you know, and or yeah. playing Del Potro in the doubles. But I mean, looking back now, it was it was still a mistake, absolutely. What got to, what got to me was, um, well, I mean, the first the first thing is like you said, they're up two zero, and they didn't need him to play that. If it's one one, I totally see it. If that's you know the tie that you need to have with Murray playing uh, Paya, who he just destroyed as expected, but mm-hmm. I think and uh, our boy BC Brett Connors brought this up. I think he might it might have been a situation where Delpo knew he couldn't play singles again and said I might be I can probably help you out in doubles. That's the only uh, thing. That makes sense. Well, we if, if that yeah you know we don't know and if that's the case then that kind of justifies that decision. Um, and it could be that it could be maybe like, hey, you know what? I don't have like you said, I don't have the energy to play another singles match. So doubles is all I can give you. And you know what? After two sets, they split. They split the first two, so mm-hmm. anything could have happened after that. You know, it was kind of like maybe it might have been a good call. But regardless, um, no. I think uh, I think Argentina was just a better team all around. I think they had some better guys, and I, I would even question. Uh, Daniel, Daniel Evans playing in the fifth rubber. Yeah. I know Kyle Edmund lost in the first first rubber yeah. of of the tie, but I don't know. I mean, Edmund yeah. uh, well, that's a talented player too, and and maybe he, who knows? Maybe he would have given a better better uh, fight against Leonard. Mm-hmm. Well, Mayer actually he looked really locked in. He knew he was playing. I know they can announce up until an hour before. In the match, who the uh, opponent, who the player is going to be, Mayer knew he was playing. He was locked mm-hmm. in. He was 
know, this wasn't a last minute thing. And the other thing, like you said, it too, is I don't. It was it was a big decision, but at the end of the day, Mayer wasn't playing a guy like Murray or Federer. He was playing Dirty Dan Evans. Exactly. So I yeah. I don't think it was the end of the world there. He's a higher, you know, he's a, the better overall player. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, Great Britain has Andy Murray. They won it all last year with him having to basically win every tie that he was in, and he did. Mm-hmm. Um, just the depth mattered. Uh, but that it all came down to the first match, Del Potro-Murray, five sets. Absolutely, Great. yeah. Del Poe wins. Another, another so good showing against a top player. I know he has to get his, his fitness up, you know, the common theme here. You know, going into next year, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. I'm liking what I see on oh, Delpo. Man. Delpo's back, man. That's that's how I see it. He's just, I just pray he you know he doesn't get hurt. And like you said, he just he got to work on his fitness level. And you know, maybe next year we'll we'll see Delpo rising into yeah. you know one of those the top five players again. So Argentina will go on and they will play Croatia. Croatia beats France uh, in four rubbers in the final there. Croatia's won this title before France uh, or uh, Argentina has not won this title, uh, but Croatia wins it four. Some interesting moments there. That match took place in Zadar, Croatia, which, you know, George, we work in tennis, we see a lot of uh, you know B-roll and, and video footage. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say crowd of the year, definitely in Zadar. Uh, crowd of crowd of the year. Oh yeah. There's the fourth rubber especially. I think they brought the A team out. I think France couldn't deal with uh, the environment around them. Yeah. But it was uh, it was something to see uh, on that front. Marin Cilic, he wins two rubbers. He he beats two you know top fifteen, top twenty players. Looking pretty good. You know we weren't sure about him coming out of uh, U.S. Open. You know losing to Sock and not doing well. But you know he carries his team to the finals. Yeah. You know I think on the hard court with his big serve at home. There was a lot of a lot of good things going for him, and kind of just had to mentally stay focused. And uh, yeah, you know he did that, and Croatia was was the better team. And uh, and France, you know, a bit unlucky with with Sanga and Monfils pulling out. You know, it was a, it was a shock for for the French team, but you know they they have a lot of talented players. The fact that Gasquet and Puy, and you know, there's there's good guys, you know, and. And 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 now you got a question. Maybe they could have brought Simone and and uh, yeah. you know there's they have a lot of talent in France. Yeah, Croatia getting a lift from their crowd, but as you said, you know Croatia is just uh, was better. You know they they, they were the better team. Chilich winning with the, the, all three ties. He was in the doubles tie. Him and uh, Dodich. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, Dodich celebrations were epic. Yeah, everyone should be. Dotage when he wins. Not, that wasn't even match point. That was the, like the win. No, it was just like it's basically almost in every game that was going on. Dotage, what what a guy, what a legend. So that'll be a good uh, Davis Cup final. Absolutely. Uh, Where is it taking you know, place? Croatia. It's, it's Croatia. in Croatia, home team. Wow. They're hosting it. So we can only hope they go back to Zadar, but a lot of choices there. Oh uh, yeah, for- absolutely. Well, you know they're definitely not going to go to clay, so it'll be a hard court again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It has to be, I would think. So, we'll see. Uh, end of the tennis season, George. We got master season, World Tour finals. You know, just some brief thoughts there. We got Stan as a Grand Slam champion. He's playing already in St. Petersburg. 
the next generation of guys wants to make their mark. Murray and Djokovic, you know, wanting to finish the year strong, at least on the men's tour. You think you think there'll be uh, some upsets, or will be a lot of top guys like last year this time just winning all the tournaments? You know, I think it's been a, a different different year just because of the Olympics and, and all the players that that played in the Olympics, and it's just been an extremely tiring year for a lot of these players. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking that uh, the players are going to kind of be taking the last few months of the year a little bit more lightly than other years. And even Murray today was discussing, saying how exhausted he is and um, how he's not playing, you know, any tournaments for a couple weeks until October 3rd. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, as we know, tennis is a really long season and it's grinding and a lot of traveling. So it's, you got to give a lot of credit to these, to these people, to these athletes and what they do. Um, As far as for, you know, winning, Let's see the ATP World Tour Finals, and you know some of the you know going through the Asian swing. Um, if you're talking about maybe some surprises, you know I think I think Stan wants to continue his good form, and I think he's he's kind of looking to 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 kind of stay on top and kind of prove to everyone. So I I think I'm expecting Stan to kind of like you say you say he's playing right now in St. Petersburg, so that already shows that you know he's, he cares about ranking points and such and being one of the top guys. There's a, there's a lot to prove, I think, still uh, to be decided. I, I'm not sure. I think it's good that we, we're we not sure how this is going to shape up. Like, whereas last year, Djokovic just cleaned house after the U.S. Open. Uh, will Stan, you know, get, be more consistent? He only has one Masters title. Will he add to that collection? Murray looking tired. Is, the next, is, a, is a newer guy going to come up? Is Milos, you know, back to form? He's playing in St. Petersburg as well. Will Nishikori continue on after that impressive win over Murray. Guys like team, will they get their second win? I think it's going to be an interesting end of the year, but I do think that at the end, World Tour Finals, you'll see the top guys again. And they'll be, you know, they'll be, uh, it's good that they'll be giving a damn, as somebody I know yeah. would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and, and Djokovic kind of has a lot to prove now too, almost. You know, kind of, he needs to kind of get back into being, extremely dominant you know he's obviously still the best player in the world if you ask me but um yeah he has he has some i'm sure he wants that rematch with Lorenko, right so about nadal too can't forget him he's a top five player he uh Uh, i'm I'm forgetting already no we're forgetting but he's there he just hasn't really you had the one clay court title this year uh, that's it. So we uh, we need to see some more Rafa. You know, yeah, it's been a slight improvement from last year, but I mean, I think. Yeah, it's only he way still he complains about his wrist a bit, and yeah. I know he was playing in India over the weekend for the World Group uh, Davis Cup match, and and uh, he he said in the interview that his wrist was still a bit sore, but it's not bothering him as much. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, never know with Nadal. Yeah, my boy. You know, yeah, your boy. You never know. Uh, lastly, on the money match effect, before we wrap up this tennis talk, there was the uh, celebrity event in Dallas, George Dirk Nowitzki's event. He's a big tennis guy, uh, and he was hitting around before before the event with uh, Mark Knowles, who has been on the Tennis Channel airwaves and uh, friend of the program. Leif Shiras actually said today that Dirk was clocked at like 121. I'm the serve gun. So. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's impressive. He's a tennis guy. I, I, you know, obviously no one's going to be as good as a tennis pro, but it got me thinking what, you know, that is very impressive, but also, you know, what athletes could make good tennis players. And I got to think a guy like Dirk with his size, if he has a good serve, he's in the top of the list. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, tennis is one of those sports that you can't really just kind of pick up and be naturally yeah. good at it. It's pretty rare for that to happen. So, you know, Dirk's probably played a bit growing up and, and yeah, he's a he's a big guy, so you gotta you gotta hope that he has a big serve like that. I kinda I wanna know what his percentage was on landing them. So that's what I wanna know. Yeah, no, that's 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 the devil's in the But you know, he's an athlete, you know, he he has an in tennis footwork is very important and you know, he probably has the fundamentals to kinda to kinda be good at, at uh moving around the court and and yeah, if he's got that big serve, you know, he's got he can play like Isner and just Never break and just only serve. <laughs> no, yeah, um, yeah. I think I would think basketball, soccer, hockey, a sport where you're you know having to constantly move and have that cardio is a big is a big uh, advantage. You know, in a sport like Absolutely. that. But there was a story too of uh, when he was much much younger and had a couple years on him, but still Drew Brees beating uh, Andy Roddick in a tennis match when they were kids. He was uh, a guy. Interesting. Yeah, and. Uh, Monte Ellis actually was a junior tennis player as well. Wow. Yeah. So they're, they're up. I, I think you're right. Like, I think you can't really start too late. But if you play growing up, and it's interesting to think about what who would be the best non te- non professional tennis players in the athletic world. That's um, interesting. Dirk is, you know, Dirk's up there. Um, but we'll we'll recap and we'll end, George, this uh, edition of this interview on the Money Mitch Effect with. My heartbreak in uh, fantasy football. <laughs> we were playing each other, myself and George. The and battle of the predators. Battle of the predators. I'm yeah, sorry, George man. Got... I'm sorry. I had to do it to you. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm not mad at you. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I was very upset. Don't not be mad, man. Sad that Danny Woodhead, you know, tore his ACL, which they just announced today. Tragic. Team obviously a lot worse for him than for me. You know, my, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's close. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, yeah. I no, I mean, <laughs> yeah. these these athletes probably just get so fed up when, when they hear people talking, being sad about like their fantasy team, no. when like their their like yeah. life is on the line and their <laughs> careers. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, this this weekend there was just a ton of injuries this weekend, and it's it's sad to see that so early on in the NFL. But it it happens every year. It's you know, it's such a physical sport and. You know, it's it's expected. But, yeah, a lot of big big players, you know, were hurt today. I also have Danny Woodhead in another league, and I started him as well. And, you know, Arian Foster got hurt, left the game. Amir Abdullah got hurt, left the game. You know, uh, Julio Jones got tweaked his ankle a bit, but he's fine, you know. And there's just been a lot of uh, a lot of injuries, man. And, and I, there's probably a few more that I can't think of right now, but. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it was, you know. we had a competitive game. It went back and forth. We had, you know, some weird, you know, some guys step up that really weren't expected, and some guys that are expected to kind of just not perform. But it's fantasy football; it's a numbers game, exciting stuff. And uh, I guess I'll just have to get you the end of the regular season, maybe the playoffs. Oh, I know. Oh, well, good luck, man. So now you, you have to you have to let the world know about. Our bad. Yeah. So now well, what we had. <laughs> so I guess I, I got to do that. That reminds me. George gets to pick my avatar. 
for the next week. And uh, you know, I should point out this is a work week, so I feel comfortable that it's not going to be uh, terribly <laughs> tasteless. But I'm not. I'm not sure. So. Well. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll work on that right now, and I'll send it send it over to you. So you'll put it in there. And the deal is, it's only one week, so you have. I'll put it up as soon as you send it to me. But Tuesday okay. morning. Actually, actually, I'm not changing your your fantasy team name, right? It's just no, avatar yeah, we, only. We did. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll keep it clean. Don't worry. All right. Well, that was George Pinoz and George. Thanks again, man, coming on. Thank the, you. Um, thanks for having me, Money. It's always a pleasure. You know, I love just talking about sports and tennis, and just love seeing uh, what you're passionate and what you do. I appreciate it always. All right, big thanks to George, as always, for stepping through on the Money Mitch effect and shedding his tennis light. George, uh, you know, he beat me in fantasy football, but the good thing about him is he didn't rub it in. It's early in the week, so I'm probably going to just take back everything I just said. But uh, another good uh, discussion with George about the world of tennis. All right, time now for that second interview I promised you at the beginning of the show. And this is Mike Indergaard, my good friend from my St. Louis University days. We've actually uh, we played hockey together. Lived at, we were roommates back in the back in the uh, the go round, and uh, we also were radio compadres as well, covering uh, a lot of different things. Mike was a frequent guest on my sports talk show in college, and a big uh, you know help to helping me uh, become whatever it is I've become uh, at this stage in the game. And we are going to talk the world. Cup of Hockey with Mike Indergaard here now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, Mike Indergaard, my former uh, my former partner. Hello, Mitch. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, it's uh, it's a good time of year, you know. Uh, we're uh, great time of year back at it with hockey you know we for those people out here on the uh money mission effect listening we uh we we go back slew radio some hockey some uh some t- general talk uh, you know definitely baseball too you still have one of the best home run calls i've ever heard yeah. well it's been on the shelf for a while but uh maybe maybe yeah. i can get it back out yeah well let's uh Let's talk about the World Cup of Hockey. You know, we're we're uh, I mean we're hockey lifers, so you know we're all about just about anything that has to do with that sport. But uh, World Cup of Hockey, an international hockey tournament that they geared up have from 2004 was the last time. Started in '96. This is the third edition, and uh, eight teams in the field were recording this on a Monday night at the intermission of Team North America and Russia's game. Uh, and it's a good thing we don't really write out what exactly we're going to say, because if we would have done that before this last period, we probably would have changed it about four or five times. Yeah, but absolutely. Russia currently leads 4-2. to two. So, Mike, let's start with the kids, Team North America. A, a lot of uh, excitement about this team, 23 and under, from Teams Canada, for Canadians and United States players. They win their first game pretty handily over Sweden, and now trailing 4-2 to two looked good early. But what do you think looking at this team? You know, I love the way they're playing. I love their speed. I love the way that they're not backing down and they don't seem to be afraid of some of the older, more mature players. Um, you know, and as we saw in that uh, second period there, maybe, you know, some mistakes 
Um, you know, young young players making mistakes, but I like the way they came out and fought and maybe down, but they started to get some momentum back at the end there, and um, I'm looking forward to that third period. Yeah, um, you know, the, the the kids factor, I think it's pretty funny, you know. They they play the game with reckless abandonment, but they are kids, and we saw that in the second period, a little irresponsible hockey. Yeah. Um, but as far as speed goes, I mean, this team has has an abundance of it, abundance of excitement. At, we know the, the top players, obviously the Connor McDavid's, Austin Matthews already looking great, scoring a goal tonight. Johnny Gaudreau, but I mean it's deep, man. I mean Jonathan Druin, um, you know. So we we have there's a lot of uh, excitement there. Russia's a bunch of snipers, and they can't lose this game. They already lost to Sweden, um, you know, after Team, Team North America beats Finland convincingly. Uh, but yeah, they can't lose. And if Russia loses this game, I'd stay. I, I mean, but Putin's going to be all over Twitter tonight, I'm sure. Yeah. They're already eliminated. Um, but when I watched the Russian team, the one thing that I thought got, you know, in their way in the uh, early part of this game, I don't think they're used, Mike, and, and I really just don't think they're used to not being the fastest team on the ice. Yeah, I you know, I, surprise. I, I would have to agree with you there. I think, you know, usually when you see them in international competition, they, they seem to be the more creative, more fluid, uh, a little quicker-paced team. And, uh, you know, I think that North America can definitely uh, match that speed and that quickness and creativity. Um, so I think, you know, in the beginning they found themselves in a little bit of a, little bit of a hole, but you never count the Russians out because they can shoot and they can score, and we saw that uh, in that second period. Oh, yeah, and I think this makes the tournament better if Russia wins tonight. And they'll be, you know, it looks like there'll be a, a big game between North America and Sweden, who, you know, they beat Russia 2-1. to one. The ending was kind of controversial, but that's a team, Mike, that did it without Lundqvist and net. He was kind of, he was under the weather, might be playing uh, again tomorrow. Yeah. To feel better. But this is a team that, you know, their guys are getting up there in age. And some of these other countries, they aren't really, uh, you know, they're having a tough time rebuilding. How does Sweden keep it competitive at the highest level uh, as the older guard kind of ages? Well, you know, I think that you know, like a lot of European countries when these guys come into the NHL, they've obviously got a lot of skill. Uh, they're great handling the puck. They're great skaters. Um, and, you know, looking at their lineup, you see a lot of uh, guys that were early, uh, early picks uh, in the draft and have been playing in this league for uh, – uh, quite some time now, even though they're still pretty young, and they just they just seem to be cycling players like that through, and um, they they do a good job of developing players from uh, a young age uh, in juniors and uh, club hockey at a young age, and getting them ready to play uh, in the biggest stage in the world. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right there, and I also think it, it, they they have the right mix of young and older guys on the team. Um, defensively they're I mean we I was looking at this the other day Mike defensively they're as strong as anybody Canada included when you can trot out Victor Hedman Eric Carlson Ekman Larson as your top three and then go with a guy like Nick Chalmerson from the Chicago Blackhawks who's the perfect you know role playing defenseman uh, yeah absolutely. and then Lundqvist and goal I mean they're just not if they're playing their game and not giving up a lot of goals I mean it's tough to beat them you know regardless of who you have scoring the puck so 
Um, I'm, I'm thinking Sweden's a major player. And North America, if they lose tonight, they could be on the outside looking into the semifinals. Of, you know, beating Sweden's a tall task for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, Team USA, Mike, we came in as Patriots with high hopes and uh, <laughs> just didn't get the job done against the, the European team, which is a collection of you know players from all the countries outside of the uh, countries represented. Uh, they didn't look. Team Europe didn't look too good in their exhibitions. America looked pretty solid, and then they, you know, drop a dub, losing three uh, nothing. I don't know exactly if it's a trend or just a bad game, but what was your reaction to just a, a pretty bad loss for the Stars and Stripes? Well, I think uh, you know there may have been some overconfidence coming in. I, I think they may have taken uh, uh, Team Europe a little too lightly um, going into the game. They uh, looking up their lineup. I mean, you return uh, the scoring champion and Patrick Kane uh, on your roster, and you know you've got some other Zach Parise, Pavelski. I mean, you've got some good scores on this team, and they just need to step their game up and bury it. Here, you know, I I watched a decent amount of that game, and uh, they just looked flat all the way through. Um, but to me, we we can talk about two different things uh, defensively. I mean, top to bottom, they were out of position all game. I mean, Jonathan Quick's a great goalie, which we all know, but they were leaving him out, you know, high and dry. Yeah. Uh, a lot of odd man rushes for Team Europe, but a lot of, you know, ill-advised pinches, forwards not getting back. It doesn't matter who's in the lineup. That If that doesn't change, they're going to lose. But the flip side of that, Mike, is and John Tortorella is the coach. He has a lot of say in it, a lot of the, the you know, Lombardi and a lot of the, the front office, so to speak has a lot to say in who plays. But I just scratched my head with who was in the lineup that game. Two guys that did not play that I thought definitely should have were Dustin Bufflin. His size proved pretty valuable uh, in some of the exhibition games. But Kyle Palmieri, Mike, had 30 goals last season. This Team USA, I think, could have used him as they were getting shut out on Saturday. Yeah, I would have to agree with that, Mitch. They, you know, I think uh, they were hoping to kind of grind it out uh, um, and and uh, bring a physical presence uh, to the game, and I think they were trying to uh, establish that with the lineup they had for for the game. But you know, as you see in these international contests, you know these, these games aren't aren't about uh, necessarily establishing um, you know the physical play down low. It's more about uh, creativity and puck possession and um, being able to set up in your offensive zone, and and I would have to agree. I don't think they necessarily had the best lineup uh, to accomplish that goal. You know, and I uh, I get the I get the reasoning behind this. Then they're not the most skilled country in the world, and this game actually isn't played on international ice like the Olympics. So. But I look at the lineup, Mike, that played Advocator, You know, Stepan Dubinsky. You know, throw in uh, some other names like even like an Oshi or, or players that are you know Blake Wheeler. I know he's not your favorite player, but uh, he's <laughs> on the team as well. Um, th- just too many role players, in my opinion. I, I just and I don't know. I think a guy like Paul Mary, they didn't invite Phil Kessel to the team. I think that was kind of uh, a little outrageous. Um, I, I think you could use guys like this, and it might be the case, Mike, where they were building themselves to compete against one team in Canada. But as you know, yeah. these international tournaments don't work that way. And, you know, in a perfect draw, yeah, they could just get right to Canada and be done with it. But there's other teams here. And now if they don't beat Canada, 
they're going to be eliminated. Yeah, you're right, and, and you know they're, they're going to have to. They're definitely got a, a tough test in front of them uh, uh, with their game against Canada coming up here, and and you know if they if they can't figure out how to establish uh, uh, some cycling in the offensive zone and uh, get shots towards the net, um, we're not going to see our our favorite country competing for uh, championships. I know, and then if North America loses, we could be on the outside as well of the semifinals, which would just be, you know, ridiculous. But as it stands right now, they have we Team Europe beating the Czech Republic three to three to two in overtime today. Uh, the Americans need to get at least one point, need to at least take Canada to overtime, or they are eliminated tomorrow. Uh, still alive, but definitely on the ropes for the Americans. You know, some teams struggling out of the gate, Mike, the Czech Republic and is one of them that comes to mind. You know, they've lost twice, already pretty much eliminated. I just, it, it, it's a rough patch for Czech hockey. I mean, with guys like Jager, um, you know, getting up there in age, he's retired from international co- competition. The tail pool, I don't want to say has dried up, but it's definitely not as deep, not nearly as deep as it once was all across the board. Yeah, I mean, just top to bottom, I don't, I don't know if it, and, if it has to do with how they're developing players from a young age, or if, or if uh, players or, or kids, um, you know, at a young age, aren't, just aren't interested in hockey. Um, but they're definitely, we have definitely seen um, a thinning out of the talent pool, as you said, um, and coming from a team that historically has always been fairly strong in uh, international competition. It's just it's interesting to see the, the change in their and their development and their hockey culture over there. Yeah, I looked at it, and uh, I believe it was uh, Martin Hansel had the most ice time for forwards for Czech Republic, and he's a, he's a good player, but it's definitely not what it was, you know, where it was. This former uh, gold medal winning team in 1998, and they've been pretty relevant the last couple Olympics, but not really going uh, the way they would like. All right, here we are now on the Money Mitch Fag Mike Indergaard joining me. Let's talk about Canada. They've only played one game, but it was as dominant as maybe they've looked in the last couple of years in international hockey. Are we, or do we, is it possible we just take how talented they are for granted? I mean, this Canadian team, it, it, it's scary what they can do when they play like a well-oiled machine with all that talent. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think uh, we kind of do take them for granted, and I think, um, you know, even though they, they won the gold medal in, in uh, 2010 and have had success on the international level for as long as I can remember, I think going into this tournament, uh, a lot of people kind of were starting to count them out. I know um, a lot of the media up in Canada was saying that, you know, they're worried about um, how can, uh, Canadian hockey was developing uh, going forward because kids just didn't seem to be as interested in hockey as they once were, uh, and with hockey being the national sport of Canada, you know, uh, members of Hockey Canada wanted to make sure that they had uh, the best lineup that they could and uh, wanted to put the best team out there um, uh, on the big stage here with the World Cup of Hockey. And you're right, looking at this lineup, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You're top to bottom. It's a scary-looking team. They're big, they're fast, and they can create chances, they can grind you out, they can play really any style of hockey that there is, and and they, in my opinion, are definitely the team to beat in this tournament. 
Yeah, I mean, Carey Price in goal, 20 shots, 20 saves, but he was barely tested all game against the Czech Republic. And, you know, it's scary also to think that in that game, with all that talent, it was still abundantly clear how dominant Sidney Crosby was. That line with Marchand and, uh, you know, Bergeron was unstoppable. Defensively, they have six, you know, deep defensemen that they could just roll with Babcock behind the bench. It is, it is scary. I mean, I, I think... You know, you brought up, Mike, how youth hockey is down pretty much all over the world, but definitely in North America, um, you know, due to, you know, some different rule changes, some safety concerns. But you see the the talent pool with Canada and this Team North America. I mean, how many guys, I mean, we're only two years away from the Olympics, but going back to North America, how many guys from that team are going to be on both of the Olympic teams for the U.S. and Canada? I would say a great amount. Oh, I, uh, absolutely. I, at least over half are going to find themselves on one of the two teams um, when the Olympics roll around here um, in 2018. And, you know, it's just, it's scary too. With, or it's, I guess, fun to see with North America, you know, just how young they are. And, and I mean, a lot of the players on that team are established and strong NHL players. And, they're so young, and I would I would have to agree that you know I think we're going to see at least fifty percent, if not more, of that roster on one of the two, uh, whether it be U.S. or Canadian Olympic team come twenty eighteen. Yeah, assuming that they can, the NHL can work out a deal with the IOC, that you know we, we that Gary Batman can get in a room with the IOC <laughs> and do, do their due diligence. I mean, what, why why can't I believe that's going to happen? I mean, what, what would lead me to believe that? That's not a bad idea, but we'll see. I, I want to see Olympic-level hockey with the best players in the world, and hopefully, you know, that's the case. Um, all right, so before we get into how we think this is going to un- unravel this tournament, who would you say, looking at some of the – obviously, Canada is the resounding favorite, but if you had to pick a sleeper right now to make a run to win the whole thing, who would it be of that next tier? Obviously, Canada is – is the elite class, but who, Mike, would you say is that next team that you think could win it all? To tell you the truth, this may seem a little out there, but I am really in North in North America's corner. I really think they can make a run, and I really think they can surprise some people. And um, I would not be surprised to see them uh, contending for one of the top spots in this tournament. That's a good. That's a good one as well. If Russia wins today, and they and they can uh, finish their pool play two and one. I also think we we always talk about Sweden as being a contender, but I think I think with North America, you know, we wondered about them, the defensive side of the game. I just don't know if they're consistent enough on that end, if they'll get exposed by Canada, and if they have the toughness to kind of go and battle, um, you know, in the corners. But we didn't talk about Team Europe. I don't know. I mean, that, that's an interesting group of uh, a group of characters, cast of characters. There, you have your Kopitars and Gabriks, but you also have. Uh, you know, some uh, some other guys, the collection of talent, Matt Zuccarello having a nice game as well. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Team Europe, I'm not really sold on, Mike, but I think given the right circumstances, they can definitely shock some people. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, they. what I've been thoroughly impressed with uh, uh, off of uh, the team, uh, off of Team Europe is uh, the guys from Germany. You know, you don't think of Germany as a hockey country, right. but uh, recently... Um, the Germans have uh, started to get stronger in international competition at even the world junior level and, uh, you know, qualifying for the Olympics. And, 
you know, they've got some exciting players on that team, some guys that I like to watch, and um, you're right. They're, they're another they're kind of a dark horse, a team that many other teams in this room are taking for granted, and uh, wouldn't be surprised maybe see them at the end um, as well. All right, so, uh, Mike, so before we get into the picks, Mike, uh, one last question I'm going to po- poise to you. If Russia, you know, stumbles, if they don't, if they obviously don't make it out of group play, but again, avoid to make the finals. You think we're looking at maybe like a power struggle there in terms of the the new up and coming Russian players and the old guard. I, I'm kind of sensing that it's it's starting to slowly transition from certain players to others. I'm kind of getting that. Back. No, I, I think so. I think that depending on how they do this tournament, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk with the Russian uh, uh, the powers that be with Russian hockey over who should be representing the country going forward. And, um, you know, you've got quite an age disparity on that team. I mean, you guys like you got guys like Pavel Batsyuk pushing 40, and you've got guys like Tarasenko who are in their young, uh, young to mid lower to mid-20s. And, you know, they, they've got talent all the way through. And I definitely think that how they're doing this tournament is going to affect how they uh, make their teams going forward. Absolutely, and I'll never understand why the, the Russian Hockey Federation decides to just roll lines even on the power play. Like I just like <laughs> don't understand it. They literally play all four lines. You know, Ovechkin, you're out fourth. Sorry, it looks like you're not getting out here. Uh, it just blows my mind. But what can you do? Um, all right, so final time here. Who do you, who do you see in the finals, and who do you see winning it in the World Cup of Hockey? With the finals, by the way, a best of three. So who do you see, and how do you see it going down? Canada uh, would obviously be um, a team that I see in the finals. And um, coming out of the other group, I think I would have to go with Sweden. Um, I think Sweden, you're going to see a Sweden-Canada final, uh, which should shape up to be a fantastic game. Yeah, and then you're going to go Canada in in two or three, or Sweden pull the upset? Uh, I'm going to go Canada in uh, two there. you know, I just looking at their lineup, I think they're too powerful, too strong, top to bottom. And um, so, yeah, I have Canada winning this thing. Well, I'm going to have a rematch of the 2014 Olympic gold medal game. Uh, I'm going to go and say that I think Russia gets to the final. I think the way it's shaping up, U.S. looks like they're going to be out if they don't get the job done tomorrow. I think Russia can be – can. Uh, potentially, you know, position themselves to get there. Um, and I'd say Russia-Canada if it works out that way, but Canada will beat them in two. I just think that's when, you know, that's when you get to the point of getting exposed on the defensive end. But that's the final. And that's a, that would be a good final for hockey, seeing those two teams in a, in a big money game, you know, those two schools of hockey as well. Absolutely. All right, Mike, before I let you go, you had yourself an interesting weekend. Um we traveled to Iowa, caught caught some football there. So your college team took it on the chin as a Hawkeyes fan, but your pro team, the Vikings, looks pretty good. So how would you like assess the weekend? Was it like a push, or you know, weighted one way or the other? Uh, it was a it was a weekend of ups and downs, but uh, you know, being at the Iowa NDSU game, NDSU came to play, and uh, you know, you got to hand it to them. It was a good win on their part, and then. Obviously, uh, the Vikings came last night with them opening that new stadium, all the excitement around town, uh, and the way that they did it was just, it was awesome to see. So, 
up and down weekend, but I, I, I'll call it a push. Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, your your Hawkeyes didn't make some plays down the stretch, losing to the, the FCS Bison there, but uh, it, was a, it was a pretty good game, obviously, one that had to be fun to be at, but the Vikings looking good, holding uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, in check, overcoming the injury to uh, Adrian Peterson that looked like it was uh, worse than it was. Hopefully uh, he's not out too long, but... One thing I got to say, that new stadium, Mike, looks good, and then uh, I really liked how they had the tribute to Prince at halftime. You know, I was a big fan of that. But the uh, the setup, you know, a little uh, upscale bar there is uh, in the uh, lower level. You know, right by where Adrian Peterson was getting carried off for his injury, he had to go right through the bar. I thought that was a little uh, interesting. Yeah, you know, I think they're definitely uh, trying to make the players more accessible uh, to the fans and. So they have the locker room. You have to walk through the bar. And um, I thought it was interesting that they didn't at least cart him into the locker room. But uh, I guess it was cool for the fans to see. <laughs> yeah, I blame, I blame all this on uh, Jerry Jones. You know, once he started it with Jerry World, I think we're on a collision course for just continually making things nicer until we max out. And uh, I'm scared when that comes. But, no, yeah. I think the stadium, I think the stadium looks good. And you got yourself a good team up there in Minnesota. So, We'll see. But, Mike, uh, thanks for coming on the show. It was a, it was a pleasure catching up with you. And I'm uh, fully expecting uh, the red carpet when I come up to Minnesota next month. Oh, you'll get it, Mitch. Don't you worry. It was great to talk to you, buddy. I'll talk to you later, Mike. Take care. All right. You have a good night. All right, a big thank again to both of my guests, George Pinozian and Mike Indergard. And uh, in the uh, time since we recorded that interview, it was Russia holding on 4-3 in one of the most exciting games of the tournament over Team North America. Jeez, the, the world of hockey, the NHL, is in great hands with some of the young guys on Team North America. My goodness. Uh, so they hold on a lot to still be decided in that tournament. And I have a feeling I'm going to be talking to both those guys very soon. On the Money Mitch Effect, Mitch Michaels signing off. And thanks again to Tim Adams for uh, supplying me with the beats and the audio to mix into the track. I uh, haven't even published this episode yet, but I already know the quality is significantly better. Tim's a talented guy, and again, appreciate the uh, beats in the library that he was able to supply me to improve the quality of this podcast. Later this week, we will have a uh, football podcast to break down a wild week in college and the NFL. Week two in the NFL was something to behold, as well as week three in college football. And also, don't forget that you can find all the episodes on my SoundCloud uh, account, Money Slash Mitch, as well as at Twitter, MoneyMitch21. MoneyMitchM21 is my handle. Uh, so again, subscribe, like the post, uh, do whatever you want, share them, you know, I don't care, it's cool, you can comment, I can take it, I'm a grown-up, um, but there will be uh, some other things, not just in the sports world, got something else cooking up as well that we're working on, but I will uh, leave that for another time. Take care guys, Money Mitch signing off, enjoy the rest of your week.